Ambati. Welcome to my Design Q&A podcast with extraordinary people. I love having conversations with leaders in design, product, innovation, and technology. Here's hoping you find design inspiration for today and food for thought for tomorrow. So I think the first thing I really wanted to find out is Jennifer. What are you all about? Well, um, I am, this is going to be cliche, but so I'm, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I love traveling, um, I love music, I love sneakers, but like the main thread that you can find out about me is like, I've always been into design. So this is the cliche part, but like all sorts of design. Like I at one point thought I was going to be fashion designer. I had a floral design business um, at one point. Um, I actually went to the Ohio State, the, let me say it right for our American folks, <laughs> the Ohio State, the Ohio State. Um, the Ohio State University, and I was studying in the architecture school, um, fun fact, and I was going to be an urban designer and urban planner. So I originally started off where I was going to be designing cities and not products. So um, design has always been like a thing throughout my entire life, and I, I really love all things design, like architectural design, fashion design, interior design, all the design things. That's, that's amazing. So when, where did technology come in? Because now I think you, you're in design with respect to tech. So how did that marriage happen? Yeah. So I would say tech has always been around too. I think I, I remember, I think my dad was very much into like, he wouldn't know it as tech. He would just know it as like he had different gadgets around around the house. Um, we had a computer. I, I have a vivid memory in my mind of me standing in front of like this huge brick looking monitor. I was like about three years old in that picture. So I think tech has always been there. I remember having the printer where you used to tear off the side of the yeah. The you had that old printer from the 80s. So I think tech has always kind of been there. It's it's more so about how did I get into building products? Um, and I think I just like building things. I'm a builder at heart, which is why... I love being in the product org. I love um, the product management side of things. And so design systems is a great fit for me. So that's a great segue to how you actually got into design systems. So walk us through you know, your journey yeah. through design leading up to, to being a design systems manager. Yeah, so I've been told that my path is unorthodox. <laughs> I don't know. Where did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> around, you know, around town. Um, so I started off as a technical writer. I think actually when you look at the path, it's not it's not too unorthodox if you think about it. So I started off as a technical writer documenting pretty much how products are built, right? So right. I started off working there and I would be writing all the release notes. I would be doing all of our communications from our from our product team, working with implementation team. I pretty much work with every team that collaborates and works cross-functionally with the product team. So I'm working with engineering, customer success, product team, implementation, marketing, uh, product marketing, um, and then of course UX. So every day I'm pretty much finding out how the product is built, how users use our product, what they say about the product, um, what are we releasing, why are we releasing it, what's the value, what's the impact. So from there, it's like I, I can... I don't know how to code, but I can build the product myself. <laughs> so um, I think that was the perfect 
segue really into tech because I was just learning all the things every day um, in the background and paying attention to, you know, what we're building, how we're building it. So from there, I got into UX writing, what they called content design now and right. content strategy. And I was um, then writing on the in- for the interface. So very much working um, on our UX team with our in our product department and so in the product org. So um, writing for the product and telling our users how to use the product, interact with the product. Then from there, I was responsible for standing up the style guide, right? So the content style guide. So then that is how the connection came with the design system team, because then I started working with design system team while I'm building the style guide, writing the style guide, Um, then got into content operations, design operations, and then here we are on product, on a on design system team. Amazing. So, so based on what you've said, like what's, how do you think your your past history being a technical writer leading up to now being in design systems? What do you think you've you, you've taken away from that journey that equips you now to be like a unique design systems person that can maybe see yeah. things in different ways in ways that others wouldn't? I think that's where my journey started with operations, governance, um, systems thinking because I had to be able to write about the system, connect the dots um, with our products, and then kind of explain that back to the user, not only explain it to the user, but then explain it up to leadership. Right. So um, I think that's what kind of got me on on the path of systems thinking, systems design, governance, process design, process development. And um, I think that is the uniqueness that I bring to the the design system team is understanding product development end to end. And then um, being able to document that. So, you know, the design system is pretty much all documentation, right? Oh yeah. Um, when, when it comes to the presentation of it. So, being able to document that and then also behind the scenes of what we need to do to enable our designers and our developers on our team to work at their best level. So that the process of how how the design system is built and then what we need to do to sustain that, I think, is a unique um, perspective that I'm bringing Right. So, so give us a scale of your design system. Like, give us a sense of the scale of your design systems. What are, we, what are you working with? Yeah. So since I'm in, a, I'm in the telecom industry, um, working at a cable company here in the States. So our design system is pretty unique because it's spanning across uh, not just web, but yeah. we are web, mobile, and TV, which... Right is I think unique in, a, in and of itself, which is part of what attracted me to the role is that it's very cross-platform, right? I think after coming from, when my when my journey ends at this company, I think I'll be well-versed in, and I could go anywhere because of that cross-platform background. So we, we're very, um, yeah, we, we even have devices to enable TV like the Roku and all these things, they're coming right. out with their yes. own. Their own. I just heard in a meeting um, in our roadmap, one of our on our roadmap, there's like some new device that's coming that they're coming out with to for cable and watching TV and all this streaming and yeah. all this stuff. So I think when it's all said and done, I'm very grateful for that um, to get that experience. So. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of, kind of what, what we're working with, um, on top of the, you know, normal web components. 
Okay, so if we if we break that down to its smallest part, right? So if you look at, for example, the button components, um, I think we're all familiar with how you would handle button components for web and and, and by extension mobile as well. Um, but how does that work when you start branching out to other platforms that we're not familiar with? So, for example, if you're working with TVs. Do you have to look at manufacturers and their specific operating systems? Um, like what goes into designing, building, and maintaining a button component for TV? I think it is the same because we're starting more so with um, digital aspect first still. Not so much like your remote. Um, for your, for your streaming device like your Roku, whatever, but more so how that how that's presented on the Roku app. So yeah. I don't think it's focused more so on the physical. So it's kind of the same process, but you're dealing with other other factors that come from those streaming devices um, and how they're made, how they, how they are made and how they work. I think that we have some questions here too. Yes, we do. So James is asking in terms of the maturity of your design systems, how do you advocate for design systems uh, within an organization that doesn't really understand design systems or sees benefit? Okay. So, um, this is right up my alley in the operations um, side of things. So this is a great question. So first, you need to be documenting your your wins, right, as a, as a design system team. So you need to know what value you're providing to the organization. Then you need a couple of what I like to call like cheerleaders or uh, um super fans. So these are our users that are already using our design system within the organization that can speak to how it has created efficiency at scale, quality at scale for their products. So that could be, um, for example, one of our, one of our product teams that could be one of our UX teams. That could be one of our teams that are leading like this new device, right? This new device that the, that the company is coming out with. If they're if they have now ingested our design system, they can speak to the value that it's providing their team. So we bring them on, um, and we bring them to stuff like office hours where they can come and speak. We bring them to our department meetings, our quarterly meetings, where they can come and do be a part of our report out to speak to the value that, that it's bringing to, to the organization and their team specifically. And I think that's how you get to announce or communicate that benefit at scale. Um, one thing that I want to do on our t- current team is invite people more to like roundtable readout where not only teams that we work with, but teams that we want to work with or that we have heard is interested in our design system and and being a user and, and having our design system where we can all come to a meeting and then we can hear like new questions, new concerns, new challenges. But then we can also have other teams that are already using our design system answer those questions and speak to those questions as well as us. So it's not just coming from, you know, like ivory tower. It's actual users speaking to the product as well. Amazing. And you spoke about documenting your wins. So in what format have you seen um, what's the most effective way of communicating those wins to the business have in, in your, in your experience, is it newsletters like email blasts? Um, like how would you communicate the, the wins you've documented? Yeah. So we are going through this now, um, like implementing this now, this new communication strategy, but, um, it is through emails. It is through a monthly newsletter communication. 
Um, specific to design systems or you're just specific to our team. Yeah, just specific to our team that we are right. communicating to users, stakeholders, as well as um, leadership and executives. Right. So um, we're experimenting with kind of two different lists, having executives on a separate list where it could right. be the email is more high level. Yeah, and then exactly. everyone else on a different list where we're going into the details of, um, you know, like usage features, changes, technical notes, things like that. So email, also having a playbook where that takes you through kind of like everything the team does um, and why they do it. Having that playbook, which is usually like in a uh, PowerPoint type of deck or any kind of deck, wherever you want to do it. But um, having that deck, which is, you can call it design systems playbook, whatever your team is called. Um, Having that playbook to send to your stakeholders and executives, leadership, management, um, as well as new users. Right. Um, And then something that I learned going to a design ops meetup that we have on our roadmap to, to experiment with next year is having a boot camp where when a new person comes onto any UX team, any, any, also any engineering team that you guys collaborate with, interface with, work cross functionally with, yeah, they would need to come to this boot camp. So this is something you can hold like quarterly where we're calling it like a UX bootcamp where basically it's onboarding you to the design system um, right. as a new professional coming onto the team. So whether that, whether you're on the development side or the UX side, you're coming on and we're base we're onboarding you. So we're giving you um, how to work with our components. We're giving you what is a design system? How does it work here? Um, the whole thing. And I think that is a really, really good, effective way to get knowledge, benefits, understanding of the design system out to your organization. Exactly. Your stakeholders. Exactly. So I guess if, if, a, if a team member joins, their first port of call would be to go to the playbook. And then maybe a yeah. couple of weeks or months later, they would attend the boot camp. Yeah, so we're trying to set it up where we only do it quarterly. So if you're new, we could probably have like some coffee chats with you if you're joining at a time where the boot camp is coming up or has already passed. So we can kind of chat with you. But then we send you the invite to the boot camp. In the meantime, here's the playbook to get familiar. And then also here's our email list where we'll be sending you uh, this monthly updates. Also having a section or page directly on your your, uh, design system that communicates your releases. Um, This is controversial, but could be roadmap. I don't know, depending on your organization, but um, possibly your roadmap and um, so you mean because like the roadmap could, could be considered proprietary, so they don't want to make that public. Is that why it's controversial? I think it's controversial because in product development, it's always um, a debated thing of where you, whether you should commit to dates and, and and share that publicly. I I am of the school where you do not commit to hard dates and share it publicly. So when I say roadmap for me, for us, what we will probably do is just share what is upcoming, but right. not in a in a traditional calendarized right. uh, or uh, Gantt chart style roadmap. It would yeah, just be sure. like, here's what's upcoming that you can expect yeah, from our system. Sure. For sure. That's how I see, uh, especially design system roadmap for me, it's, it's, it's more to show what the, your aspiration as a team is yep. without attaching dates to that. Cause you're right. It's correct. Yeah. It can cause problems. So Isaac has a question here. How do you maintain your design system as you scale? So I'll add on no. to this a little bit. So as you scale the team, I think you've mentioned boot camps and the, the, uh, the playbook, but also as you scale platforms like this new TV product that's coming out? So 
I think this is difficult for a lot of design systems teams because as we kind of were chatting about in the beginning of the call, I think design systems is pretty new um, for most companies. So there often is not an ops or a product person. So it is left up to the people on the team, mostly made up of designers and developers or whoever is considered the you know, senior most leader or manager on that team to do that. And I think that's kind of where sometimes things fall down because I believe that you need a dedicated individual if you are scaling that is uh, responsible for the things like the governance and the operations. So that's making sure that we're not just adding components for the sake of adding components. Um that's things like what are we adding to the system and the why behind it and what's the value that this is giving to the user that is making sure that we have maintenance um we have a maintenance model for our design system we have a support model we have a contribution model so um it's very hard to address these things i think when you don't have a dedicated individual it kind of falls by the wayside um, yeah. as we just go about our daily design and develop lives. We're not thinking about the full life cycle or we're not thinking about a design system as a product, right? If you don't, I think if you don't have someone who is either dedicated or kind of comes from that background. Yeah. Okay. So if you break it down for us a little, what tools do you actually use? Um, for your design system, both for creating components, documenting, keeping up with the versions and and that kind of thing. Like what does your ecosystem of tools look like? Tools as in... um, So for example, design tools, hosting um, where you host it, or do you use Slack? Like do you have a specific design system, Slack channel? Like what does your day-to-day look like when it comes to running the design system? Yeah, so we actually used to have Slack, but we don't. So we're using, we're back using WebEx, which I don't love, but that's what it is. Um, So that's where the communications um, lies as far as where we can do things like announce releases, um, support. We have a support channel, things like that. So that is our, one of our main communication um, methods is using WebEx. Um, So our design system is not uh, hosted. It is built like native. So it's one of those ones that are built native. It's not hosted on... um, What do you mean built native? So we build our design system and we maintain our design system. We do not um, host our design system on another platform like a supernova or or something like that yeah we we zero height we're not we're not using those kind of platforms to do governance uh maintenance updates build um we're we're doing it our what we're doing it ourselves with our design technologists so that's a role that we have we have a few design technologists on our team I'm so, so <laughs> yeah, they are the ones that are responsible for for that aspect of our design system. So we can kind of there's pros and cons. So I can speak to that. Um, not to get away from the tools, but I think this is is important. This is uh, Let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> so pros and cons. So we can kind of build ourselves, move at our own speed. Um, we write our own requirements, um, things like that, right? Because yeah. we have the full spectrum of people who can uh, write the documentation, which is myself, um, build, which is our design technologist. We have our user, our, our UX designers who design. So full spectrum. And then we have our developers. Yeah. But I think there is some cons to that uh, in not having those outside tools to kind of do some of that for for us is that right. you 
doing the heavy lifting yourself, it kind of sometimes can take longer because then you, you have this trade off of, well, we can't, we, we have to pull just off of this piece of work to make a small update. If we want to remove um, a message, an alert, from our from our from our design system, then we we have to do this trade off where it's like, well, what is the most valuable thing that we need to do right now? What has the most value to our user? So, right. yeah, in doing it yourself, that comes with some 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 trade offs, I, I believe, versus using a platform, a tool that everyone can access to do that. Right, do the heavy lifting. Yes. So how is your design system connected to your design tool? I'm assuming it's Figma because everyone's on Figma now. Yes, we use Figma. Um, We're trying to, I think that we are the first, one of the first teams and organization to use Figma. So we're also trying to scale Figma to be used as the only or primary tool throughout the rest of the organization. Because we, the organization has all the design tools, but we're trying to centralize um, the use of Figma, uh, not only from that makes uh, ingesting the the components and everything simpler um, from a design perspective, but I think it's more uniform when we release, um, when we make updates, when we say, this is compatible with this. It's, it's, it's just more streamlined to just have everyone using Figma. Yeah. So how do your teams consume your design system if they're on XD and you're on Figma or they're on Sketch and you're on Figma? They are only, they can only use up to a certain version um, of our design system. So they could be on, you know, one or two or three and we could be on five. Right. But, if you're not using uh, the most up-to-date code base, you're not using most up-to-date uh, tool, then you can only go but to a certain point, which we are now in the process of bringing everyone to the same version. Ah, got it. So we've got a question from Tuso. New designers come in and want to improve components. They have solid arguments. What is your process of evaluating these suggestions? Like whether you accept or decline them. So I think this is centered around yeah. governance. Like what does yep. the governance process look like? So we have a contribution model, which is which is um, up to me to make improvements. So I can speak to what I think would uh, works and what doesn't work. We're also in the process of building more of a self-service contribution model, which I think works very well um, with our earlier question of how you build and show, show benefits. I think a strong contribution model also contributes to um, showing the value and also helping other stakeholders talk to their leadership about what's going on in the design system. Yeah. Because if you can contribute to something, right, you feel like you're a part of the community. So we're trying to build more of a community model in our contribution process, but you can submit your uh, component or your improvement. Uh, We have a form, which is then goes through like, a process of evaluation of what the person wants to do, what it looks like. Um, But I think where the improvement lies is in the automation of that, making it more so where someone can actually go into a playground or someone can go into a lower level version of the uh, design system and actually upload themselves and see what that would look like in real time, in real life um, with the design system. So we're not there, but we're, we're trying to get there. Amazing. Okay, cool. So I had a question that I asked Davey during our, the last design systems. And I, I like to ask this question to design systems advocate people. 
Yep. So it was a question centered around, you know, looking at how we govern the earth. It's very different to how we're saying we should govern digital products, right? So we're saying design systems, it's a centralized way of building products because you have one source of truth and you can roll that out to multiple platforms, right? Whereas if you look at how the earth is governed, it's very decentralized in that we've got pockets of governments doing their own thing. Uh, we have multiple currencies, multiple, um, you know, ways of multiple ways of governing our countries. So the question is, do you feel like the earth would perform better, be more efficient if it was governed the way we des- we'd govern making products, right? One centralized government, one single source of truth, one currency, and then you roll that out into multiple geographies. What say you? Um, I would say no, because it wasn't, weren't things set up like that before at one point and it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say, I don't think that it would work, um, that way. Um, and then simply because human nature too, I think. <laughs> hey, we have to battle human nature every day in design systems, right? This is what Tusa was saying when new designers come in and they want to rock the boat. And it's up to yeah. you to have this model in place to reel them in. I think, I think up to a certain point because you still have to be flexible, right? I think um, for me, I think governance works best when it's, when it's behind the scenes and it's embedded into the way the system works first, and then you embed it into the way people work so that it feels more natural. It doesn't feel as though I'm just like a police person running around chasing people saying, don't do this, don't design like this. I think it's, I think when you put the controls in the system, then people can see themselves it's 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 like as simple as relating it to like form validation right like when you tell people you're telling people in the design what they should and shouldn't do so i think the design system works i think any any digital product or building any digital product works that way best got it got it so your answer is no (laughs) my answer is no Got it. Awesome. Um, next question is, as a lead or a manager with, with design systems, what does success look like for you and your team? Like, what do you aspire to, aspire for? Yeah, I think for me, since I'm more on the process side, the documentation side, the governance operations for me, it's like scaling things like the, the, the boot camp. So I can follow the journey of a new person using our design system from the time right. they joined the company all the way through them using it and then their success or failure using it. So I think for me, it's more implementing these process and frameworks early on. Um, to help us scale and design better at scale and develop better at scale. Um, So for me, the success is like, are we using, I've come up with like a product strategy template and process for how we get ideas from ideation, someone's head all the way through production. And so a recent success is like that, template has that framework has now scaled beyond our design system into other product teams and other UX teams. So I'm seeing it being used more cross-functionally into how people are building products, which uh, the the template is set up to start with the why instead of just building for the sake of building. Right. And so building from a more like outcome perspective, uh, outcome for what is the outcome for the design system, as well as user, as well as, you know, whether that's internal user, external user. Um, so that's a success for me is right. having more people use our the, the processes and the frameworks that I'm coming up with and that our team is coming up with at scale to develop and design better products. 
That's 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 interesting. So I think you spoke about this a little bit um, when we first interacted uh, a few months ago, when you mentioned that each design team needs a process person. So can you explain it a little bit about why you feel that's um, critical? So as like, yeah. for example, in the Middle East and Africa, where most of the people on this call are, are from, um, we're still aspiring to go into a place where design systems are are mainstream, right? So thinking of process is probably, or having process people within our teams, is probably not something we should be thinking, we are thinking about. So yeah. can you explain why we should be thinking of having process and, and that skill set embedded within the future of our design practice? Yeah, this is a great question. Some similar to your government question is if we have people doing doing their daily tasks um, and doing the things that they are responsible for in their role on the design team, and everyone is doing it in a different way, how how will we? ever get to effectiveness at scale and then how will we measure that because everyone is doing things in their own way or whatever way is most comfortable for them and how and and or how they have been doing it in their career before right so i think it's pretty difficult to get to levels of maturity increasing levels of maturity within your design team or design system team without having standards, process, best practices in the way that you go about things. So, for example, um, someone says on the call, um, how do you how how do designers come in and improve components? Well, if you don't have a process for something like that, then people can just improve things as they go. People can just not improve anything (laughs) and let the design system not be maintenance. Um, We'll never get new ideas. We'll never get enhancements if we don't have a way of of taking that in, right? Yeah, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. And so what does that person look like? Would you say that's a DevOps person or sorry, a design ops person? Or like what's what title if like if I was looking to recruit someone like that in my team, who do I go on LinkedIn and search for? I believe you go I, I'm seeing now they've they've it's kind of confusing because even myself, I like to just see what is going on in design system world. So now I'm seeing the role either be design system manager. I'm seeing the role being design system program manager. I'm wow. seeing design systems, uh, design ops. And then I'm also seeing product manager. So oh, I think it is such a new thing that the individual has to look at those different titles and say to themselves, like, which one do I line up with most, like for my background? Exactly. Um, And then if I was the one doing the recruiting for a role like that, I would say, what title do I would look at those different titles and I would say, well, what do I need at this level or this stage of maturity on my team? because you may not be at a level where you need a product manager, right? You may not be there yet. So, or you may not be somewhere where you need a program manager yet. So I think um, maybe to start, maybe you need a delivery manager. Um, So kind of coming from that DevOps world, or you need, could need a scrum master um, when you're first starting out. Yes. Because, you, you probably are not at a level where you need someone thinking at a program management level. So for, for your team, who does, um, who is that process person? Yourself? It is me, but on my team, we already had, when I came and joined, we already had a scrum master. We already right. had um, someone that came from the DevOps side that was doing like delivery um, and so, and sort of like program management. So it is a it is the three of us working together to solve the program 
and process um, challenges on our team. Got it. Awesome. Uh, we've got a question from Isaac. Speaking of recruitment, what traits do you look for when recruiting a designer into your team? Okay, what level of designer are we talking about? Are we talking about junior, senior, someone who's going to lead um, a platform <laughs> like web? <laughs> I don't know. So, so I think based on uh, uh, what I know about Isaac, let's do mid to senior designer. Okay, so mid to senior designer, we are we would be looking for, and I can specifically speak to myself. I am looking for someone who is past just making wireframes, and someone who is past just looking at um, requirements or or uh, stories or or issues in whatever tool they're using for their stuff, Jira, whatever, but someone who is leading the design process or wanting, they have a desire to learn how to lead the design process. So they're starting off with like, why are we building this in the first place? They're not just saying like, my manager or my product manager told me like, we sh- we're doing this thing, we're building this feature, but they're, they're automatically looking at it and saying like, why? Or how does this fit into our um, ecosystem as a whole? That's an interesting point, actually, because I've, I've been in, in a lot of meetings over the course of my career when whoever's chairing that meeting always says, you know, stop solutionizing. Let's not jump to the solution. First, understand the problem. And then once you've understood the problem, you know, you know, is the proposed solution yeah. actually going to fix the problem or not? And I think what you're saying is you're looking for a designer who doesn't jump to executing or doesn't jump to coming up with solutions, but takes a step back and actually asks, you know, why are we doing this? And should we even be doing this? Yes. So I think what that, what that lets me know is that this, there, that is somebody who is um, taking ownership of solving problems and what problems that the organization is solving and then what problems are they trying to solve themselves right so i think that that is someone who is kind of on a different path in their career to not just be the person who's just like how many how many screens did i design how many wireframes did i did i uh produce for this team but how many problems did i solve um i think is what I am looking for um, in a senior person. Yeah, that makes total sense, 100%. My last question to you is one that I was wondering last week. So I I was interviewing a candidate last week and they kept saying buzzwords, right? So (laughs) so they found ways of sneaking in like words like design thinking and sneaking in... um, Okay, I, I won't say specific things because then they'll know it's, I'm talking about them. <laughs> but it was all about buzzwords, this, buzzwords, that. And for me, that, yeah. was, that was a red flag. And I was wondering for you, would that be a red flag or or am I overreacting? No, it's definitely a, a red flag. And I think it's getting harder and harder to suss out these... these uh, <laughs> yeah, it's these... I don't know what to call this. I don't know, whatever. It's, it's hard. One YouTube video away from being an expert, right? Right. So I think where that falls apart is with the with the homework or the training technical the technical part of the interview. Um where you're going beyond just like the 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 conversation piece or the portfolio review, but you're like yeah. Walk me through how you're going to solve this. Um, and I, I think Isaac, that's where, <laughs> where it falls apart. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Isaac. It's called faking it till you make it. That's true. Yeah, it's a lot of that going on right now, unfortunately. Any last words of wisdom 
Um, I have a hot take more so than a than a um last words of wisdom. I I would love to know your thoughts, maybe the audience as well. Yeah. Uh, so there's this take of design system being like the new robot, like the new AI, like the robots right. are coming. They're going to take away the design <laughs> jobs. Um, but I actually find that that is true. I find that it's going to take away oh. the design job of the entry level designer. Yes. That was just responsible for cranking out wireframes and pushing buttons yes. because eventually AI and everything else can will allow automation will allow the design system to do that. Um, yes. At scale and more efficiently, right? And more uniform yes, better quality. Exactly. So do we agree with that? That that the design system is coming to to <laughs> yeah. to eliminate so, some jobs? That's a good one. And I would say yes, but that's actually a good thing. Right? So like for example, um I, I was thinking of this a very similar thing um a couple of weeks ago when, when I was starting to look for, for people to join my team. And because we're maturing our design system. I realized that I didn't, I, I wasn't looking for someone that was just, that could execute, right? So the, like you're saying, the role of a traditional UI designer is to churn out, uh, to design components, design screens and stuff. But it's not really a critical skill anymore because all you're doing is drag and dropping components. Yeah. Right? So, so what I find is it actually allows designers to be more creative and like you were saying, focus on the problem not the execution of the solution, right? So it allows us to actually have more fun at work because most of your time now is spent researching, talking to your stakeholders, doing yeah. workshops and trying to find the solution. Because once you find the solution, you can execute it instantly with your design system, right? So you're not yeah. focusing on delivery anymore. You're focusing on actually solving problems. So I actually find this an exciting thing. So... I think there's two sides, right? I think I find it exciting as well, but I think I find it exciting and you probably find it exciting because you're at a certain level in your... <laughs> right. And I feel like if you're not, then you find it terrifying. You don't find it exciting because your strategy, right? And a lot of more... I guess high thinking and then some people don't want either don't want to do that or they're not exposed to that yet or they don't like it. So right. I think it's actually terrifying right. at the same time for, for the industry. True, true. But I guess it's it happens a lot in, in human history. Like there are professions that get uh, absolute over time or it happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it so does it happen. Just all happen all the time. Time. Yeah, it does. <laughs> We've got a question from Mundir here. Um, hey, Mundir. And hey, Matilda, thanks for joining. Uh, how do you evolve your design system? I've seen messy processes where adding or amending components happen on the fly. Process, I think this is, yeah, all about process. Yes. This is, this is the process. This is the governance. This is regularly audited. Um, this is starting with I think I just saw an article actually where I don't remember who it was. A leader in our in our space said that they're not adding components. Like they're not adding any more components oh. at all. They are just going and, <laughs> and they're going back and looking at the components they already have and seeing how they can enhance those because the components they no one has brought a new problem that the existing components yeah. can't solve. Can't fix, exactly, exactly. So, But I wonder uh, how big that person's component library is. We're probably talking like a thousand plus components. You can't do that when you have like 20 components. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a mature company. It's not like Google, but it's like someone that, I don't remember, but it's someone that is, a, you know, it's a mature, well-known yeah. company, but they were saying, that they've stopped the the component, you know, kind of just the yeah. the add-on component. 
it's funny because I I've been working in banking for a while, and you find when you're when you're designing for financial services, you literally have primarily twenty or less components. It's mostly forms. It's mostly buttons and like sliders or something like that, and maybe yeah. a card that shows you your um, your your products information, right? So if it's account number and the amount, or if it's your loan account number and the amount you owe, if it's your credit card number and the amount you owe on your credit card, it's very streamlined to the point where our design system really shouldn't get to like fifty or more than or more than fifty components. Um, you know, because exactly the, like you said, the problems you're solving are are, are finite, in, especially in the financial services space. So it's funny we we got to the same place a lot quicker, just to, due to the nature of what we're designing for. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, I think a lot of when you're seeing that component bloat or just people doing this messy adding components or wanting components on the fly, I find that it's just like vanity. It's like vanity metrics, right? Like what is, Mm -hmm. why are we doing this at all? And what problem is this solving? I find that those questions are not being asked before uh, these components are being added or amended. Um, No one is trying to find out the why, they're just doing. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. So we're almost at the one hour mark. Thank you so much. I think we'll probably go on for another 30 minutes. Yeah, we, I can talk on this forever. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks so much for coming on, Jennifer. And thanks for everyone who is online with us. Thank uh, you for having me. Thanks to everyone as well who really, joined. Really Have an amazing morning and we'll catch up another time. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers.